Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. You know, our hearts are overfilled with joy for these grads, and uh, many of them I've, I've gotten to see come up from, from little ones along the way, and it uh, makes me feel a little bit old uh, to see how God is uh, growing them in stature and in wisdom, and I uh, can't wait to see how God uses uh, each of them for His glory. What a blessing we have today to, to come together and, and really just reflect in these moments and to lean into the Word of God, and, and I hope for them and for all of us to be challenged. You know, I was thinking about these grads, and I was listening to all the wonderful plans that they have, and I think about that question that we all hear when we're, when we're small, right? Some of you have heard uh, this question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And we think about that question and we've heard now, now these grads like, you're grown up. This is awesome. And now you're like, maybe, maybe some of you, even senior adults in the room might say, I don't know, what is it that I want to be when I grow up? Well, I saw a little interview of some kids. Uh, you can check out the screen and we'll see uh, just a few responses we might not expect. Even when I have nothing to do. I want to suppress common sense for company policy. Strive for mediocrity. Learn not to take chances. Not state the obvious because I fear retribution. Learn only in a training room. I want to pretend like I'm not on Facebook. On Twitter. On YouTube. When I grow up. When I grow up. I want to hoard information so I'm valuable. Follow old processes even if it doesn't make sense. Play political games just to keep my job. I want to make things up for my year in review. Fight traffic to do work I could have done at home. Be forced to attend worthless meetings. Write reports that no one will read. Yeah, you know, nobody actually says that kind of stuff, right? And I want to pose this question to you today. Nobody actually says this, right? But, but many of us can find ourselves in this uh, situation, right? When I grow up, I want to be a fence straddler. You ever heard anybody say that, right? Probably, probably not. Probably not. But there's a lot of times that we can find ourselves in those kind of places. And the decisions that we make today will determine uh, where we are in those moments. Will we be fence straddlers or will we be fire callers? Now, we're continuing today. We've been walking on a journey in a series called Kings and Kingdoms. And if you're uh, a guest with us today, we're so grateful that you are here. It's been a, a special morning to celebrate our grads. And if you're a guest, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you'll see a, a number on the screen that you can text into. You can text the word guest. Uh, to 828-477-4037. We'll leave that up uh, for a few minutes and we'd love to send you uh, some gifts that can help in your uh, discipleship relationships at home and that can help to grow you uh, in Christ. If you stop by our guest table as you uh, leave, we'd love to give you some gifts there as well. And we have some connect cards you can uh, fill out, but we are grateful uh, to have you with us. My name's Jason and I'm one of the pastors here. And as I said, we've been walking through this series called Kings and Kingdoms and we've been looking at these Old Testament kings, and we're going to begin to look at some of the Old Testament prophets and how God uh, used them uh, to uh, 
in, in good ways and in, in difficult times. And I want to rewind just a little bit if you've been just maybe picking up with us today. Uh, if you remember, God had given Abraham a promise. And he said, in you, he said, I'm going to build a, a great nation. And through you, all the people of the earth shall be blessed. And we followed this promise through Isaac and Jacob, through uh, the children of Israel, right? We, we see these 12 uh, tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel that God had made his very own. Now, we remember that this nation of Israel, that they desired a king. And what we see uh, in the scriptures is that they wanted to be like everybody Else. And I want to encourage you graduates to be who God's called you to be, right? Not to try to be like everybody else, but they wanted to be like everybody else. And they wanted a king. And we saw uh, how uh, Israel's first king, how Saul uh, impacted uh, their lives. We saw another king come along named David, who scripture says was a man after God's own heart. But we saw even in David's life, right, that these human earthly kings that they could not measure up. We saw David fall into sin, but in repentance, God uh, works in his life and restores. We see a man named Solomon. And as we looked at his life, we remember him as the wisest man who ever lived, right? And he started strong. The scripture says that, that he started and, and was leading so well, right? And we saw the temple built. We saw uh, really the golden years of the children of Israel. But the Bible tells us that his heart was led astray uh, by foreign gods, by foreign women. And, and in those moments, right, that we see Israel continue to go the wrong direction. And because of Solomon's life and the decisions that he made, we see the kingdom divide. And we, we pick up in that kind of place today. There's 10 tribes that are to the north. And when you read the scriptures, you'll see those referred to as Israel. There's two tribes that are to the south and they'll be referred to as Judah. And, and we see king after king. As we, as we walk through the scriptures, we see king after king. And, and what we see is that there's good and bad moments. We see the, the southern tribes that Judah, they experience some good kings and they experienced some bad kings. The northern tribes, those 10 tribes to the north, they experienced some bad kings and some worse kings. And that's really where we're at today. In 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to land, but we read in chapter 16 that there was a man named Omri. And the scripture says that he was uh, so bad, along about verse 25, the scripture would tell us that, uh, that he was such a bad king, right? That he was worse than all the kings that were before him, that he was such a mess. And then uh, in verses following that, it says that he had a son and his name was Ahab. And it says Ahab was even worse than him and that he was worse than all the kings who were before him. Now he was, he was a mess already in a, in a, a mess in his lineage. He, he was uh, kind of in a, a difficult place. And then all of a sudden, this guy makes the worst decision that you could ever make. And I want to remind you, young people, the decision of who you will marry is an incredible decision and one that must be taken very, very carefully. And the scripture says that this king named Ahab, that he married a, a lady named Jezebel. Now, it's been said that the last decision that King Ahab made was to say, I do. And then she began to rule the kingdom from here on out. We see that there were uh, all of the, 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 that she had the prophets of God killed, that she was a wicked and a vile woman. He married this evil woman. She was a daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And we see uh, some of these kings through, through the scriptures, we see them making these political alliances. We see them making these, uh, these, these th poor decisions, right? And she influences him to build a temple and to be 
begin to worship Baal is what we would see in the scripture or Baal you may have heard uh, pronounced. And so he's building a temple and an altar and this wooden image and the worship uh, uh, is, is all over the place. And there's there's this moment, though, in, in chapter 17, where a man named Elijah comes on the scene. And when we see the, the prophets in, in the scriptures, we see that they're the mouthpiece of God. They are the ones, and Elijah comes in, and there was no doubting that God uh, had chosen him to preach against the idolatry and against the immorality, against the iniquity of his people. And so uh, Elijah does that. We see in his life that when he uh, prayed and when he came on the scene that his prayers moved the hand of God. Uh, the rain would stop. The rain would fall. We see these kind of moments. And the first thing that we see him do is to tell this wicked king Ahab that the rain is going to stop coming down. And what we see is that God uses this drought, right? God uses this difficult time, this time of famine uh, to get the attention of the children of Israel. Now, he's been gone for about three years when we pick up this story today uh, in 1 Kings 18. And the scripture says in the very beginning of that chapter, we're going to pick up uh, about midway through, but the scripture says in the beginning of that chapter that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him uh, to go and show himself to Ahab. So the first 16 verses or so, we see kind of how all that works. And then in verse 17, we see that moment. And the scripture says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel. He said in verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now that's a big table, right? You think about all these, he said, you gather all those people and here's what's going to happen. He says, we're going to do that. And Ahab uh, sends a message, right? Ahab gets a message out to all the sons of Israel and he brings these prophets together at Mount Carmel. Verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and, and this is a really key moment, right? This is where we're going to lean in today as we walk through this passage. But this is a really key moment. The scripture says that he came near all the people and he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And here's the tragic moment in the scripture, right? The scripture says, but the people did not answer him a word. See, Elijah's calling them out, right? Elijah's saying, hey, listen, quit riding the fence because you can't have both. He says, listen, you're gonna have to choose who you are going to serve. I've heard it said that there are, uh, there's this problem with most Christians that they're trying to be a little bit in the world and a little bit uh, in the Lord, right? And what we see is there enough in the world to be miserable in God and enough in God to be miserable in the world. And Elijah says, hey, here's the deal. You need to choose one way and then get with it, right? You need to choose who you're going to serve. You need to choose how you're going to live, right? And Elijah says this, he says, here's what we're going to do. He says, we're going to take these two bulls. And he said, you take one and you place it on an altar. And he said, I'm going to take one and place it on an altar over here. And in verse 24, he says, here's what we're going to do. You call on the name of your God, little G. And he says, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And the people said, Hey, you know what? That's a great idea. 
And, and the prophets of Baal, they're probably going, Elijah must not be very smart because the gods of Baal, right? This, this picture of that, this is the God of rain and lightning. And so here he's saying, hey, we're going to have this showdown on Mount Carmel. And, and here's how we're going to do this. And they're like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Verse 25, he says, so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox, which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar with which they had made. Now, one of my favorite scriptures uh, and my definitely my, my favorite scripture in this passage. I love that this is recorded and the scripture says this. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. Now, I like to call this sanctified smack talking. This is what's going to go on uh, in this chapter, right? And when I was in high school, I loved to play football and I did some unsanctified smack talking, right? But, but here is a whole different mix, but it's awesome, right? So Elijah is giving them some sanctified smack talking and he says, listen, call out with a loud voice. He said, maybe he can't hear you because he's a God. I mean, either he's occupied, the scripture says, or gone aside, or, or he's on a journey, or, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. He said, maybe he's on Instagram. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he can't hear. And, and in the Hebrew, I want you to understand something. The translations that, that we have, they've tried to soften this just a little bit. They've tried to like say this in a way that doesn't maybe sound as offensive. But when it says that he's gone aside, what it literally means is that, that your God, maybe he's doing number two right now. Maybe Y'all look it up, like blueletterbible.com. Check it out. He's, he says, maybe you're God. He's on the throne, but it ain't the throne in heaven, right? He's over here first door on the left. That's where he's at. And maybe he's busy. That's what the scripture says. He says, listen, maybe he's busy. Maybe that's the kind of dynamic that he's in. And the scripture says that in those kind of moments that they cry with a loud voice, look at verse 28, and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. And see, this is what we see in, the, in, in idol worship. This is what we see because there is nothing to those idols. And, and all idols, they promise some kind of satisfaction. They promise some kind of fulfillment. They promise those kind of things, but they never measure up. And in verse 30, right, the second key moment I want you to get. So we saw this moment, right? Choose. Listen, you've got to decide whether you're going to be a fence straddler or you're going to be a fire caller. You've got to decide where you're going to live and what you're going to do. And in verse 30, Elijah says to all the people, he says, come on in close. He said, I want you to get in close because I want you to see what's going to happen because God's going to do something amazing. And he says, we're going to, we want to lean in here. And it says, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And, and here's what I want to say, and we're going to come back to this. But if we're going to see God move, if we want to see our country change, if we want to see the world that we're in change, we need the manifest presence of God to be in our midst. We need to see God move, and, and it's going to have to begin here. It's going to have to begin with people in desperate prayer and dependence on God. Look at verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, the scripture says, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. I want you to see something else, right? This was a divided kingdom moment. So there's 10 and 2. But Elijah is very careful in the way that he handles this. And 
he, he puts these 12 stones together because there's an importance in the unity of the people of God when we come to God in prayer and when we worship God. There's this beautiful picture that we see there. And the scripture says with those stones in verse 32, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar. And he had also filled the trench with water. Now, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, oh, Lord. Now, I want you to think about your prayer life for just a second. And I want you to look at Elijah's prayer. This is, this is so revealing. Right? He says, oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Right? This is what the prayer life of followers of Jesus Christ should look like. That we might live our lives in such a way that our desire might be that the prayers that God answers on our behalf and the prayers that God works and does in our life might bring him glory. You know, the scripture says, and our students have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men. And he said that they may see your good works so that you may live in such a way and that you may walk in such a way that these good works are seen, but glory is not coming to you, but, but that these are glorifying your Father who is in heaven. And our prayers would do well to say, God, it's my prayer that you might move in my classroom and that you might move in my home and that you might move in this community, God, and that you might reveal yourself to people here so that your name may be glorified, so that you may be lifted up, God, so that all the people might know that you are the Lord and you are God. And then, verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering of the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water which was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, when we read this passage, right? There's, a, there's really just a strong core principle that we can see. And what, what, what is God saying to us? When we read scriptures, when we read narrative in the Old Testament, what is it that God is communicating? What was he communicating then? And, and here's, the, here's the deal. Whatever God was communicating then, that's what he's communicating now, right? The word of God is immutable. It doesn't change. The message that was given then is the message that is given now. And, and what we see in this passage is that God is calling his people to wholehearted devotion. He, he is calling his people to be devoted to him with all of their hearts. He has raised up this prophet Elijah and he has raised him up for this very purpose to demonstrate and to declare and to show to Israel that the Lord is God and that there is only one God. And his role is as he proclaims this, he is calling Israel back to himself. Deuteronomy 6, 4, we see the Shema, right? This beautiful passage here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. James 1 would tell us in verse 8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Jesus would tell us in Matthew 6, along about verse 34, that no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and be devoted to the other. He will despise the one. Well, we see that no man, and whatever your idol is, Jesus in that passage said, no man can serve God and money. And so if our idol is the, the prosperity that we might have, if it might be the treasures that we're trying uh, to accumulate here, what we understand is that we 
we cannot serve both of those things, right? First John chapter number two would say that we're not to love the world and the things that are in the world, that, that we are to live and love and be in wholehearted devotion to our God. The second thing we see in this passage is that, that God desires and calls his people to wholehearted dependence. Did you notice that when Elijah uh, came on the scene there and when he began to be in the midst of this time as, as these prophets were gathered, Elijah didn't have any thought that he could do anything in his own strength. He didn't have any desire to do anything in his own strength. But I want to tell you something. He believed in a God who can, a God who is able to do abundantly above what we even ask or think, right? A God who promises that he who began a good work in us would see it through until the day of completion. He believed in the one true God, the God who would answer by fire in this passage, right? And, and what we see in this passage is he said, everybody come in close, right? Everybody gather in and we're going to repair the altar of the Lord that has been torn down. Now, there was nothing special about Elijah, right? In James chapter 5, I mean, he's talking about prayer, and he says, listen, this guy Elijah, he was a man with a nature just like ours. There was nothing special about him. There was nothing within just this man that made him great, but he walked by faith, and he loved God. And when he prayed, right, that, that he would call down fire from heaven in this place, when he prayed that the rain would stop, and then the rain would start, and he had a communication line open to the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? And, and here we are. This is this kind of moment that we're in. And what do we want to be when we grow up, right? What do we want to be today? Those people that will straddle the fence of those people that will step out on faith and live for the glory of God and live in a way that says, you know what? I'm going to pray prayers. And our prayers, if they don't make us a little uncomfortable, then, then we, we're not praying in the way that we should, right? We, we should be praying in ways that are so dependent on God to move. Like, like we've been talking and praying that we would love to see a revival, right? A move of God among his people where the manifest presence of God descended on a place. I read in the scriptures and I've been reading about revivals of old where the presence of God fell on a place and people were broken in repentance and lives were changed and people were saved and things were different. And I'm praying for a move of God like that. You know, when I look and, and I come to, to worship and this morning our choir in the upstairs was doing such a beautiful job and then I come down here and our band, what a gifted, amazing group of people. And then we can gather and we can tell stories and we can do all kinds of different things and we can be gifted and we can have those things and we can live in such a way that we can manufacture church on our own. We can come together and we can put smart people in a room and we can come up with things we can put on the screen and we can come up with songs that we might sing and we can do all these kind of things and we can use gifted musicians and talented people but I want you to understand we cannot manufacture a move of God and what this world is desperate to see, what our community is desperate to see is the fire from heaven to fall on a place and on a people in such a way that it changes them from the inside out and that we begin to live like people who love Jesus, not just on Sunday morning, right? If your Christianity is only Sunday morning, you don't have Christianity according to the Bible, right? You've never been changed by Jesus. He is calling us, listen, we've got to stop being straddled on this fence because the pressure of this world the pressure of this world is that you might find a comfortable place to sit on the fence and just enjoy the comforts of being there. And it becomes an idol. It becomes something that we desire, right? One foot in the world, one foot, right? We can become comfortable, right? We can become comfortable in the pleasures of this world, comfortable with things that have become more important in our lives than worship to God. Confident, we can become comfortable, right, in those things, and we can become confident in our own strength. 
But listen, we've got to be different. If we're going to see a move of God, we've got to be people. People that are uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with the world that we live in. You know, as I, as I watch the news this week, as, I, as you just look around, man, the, the world that we live in is so broken. There are people, and, and you know, we say, so what do we do in the midst of brokenness? Like, how do we engage? What do we do as we, as we pray for people that have experienced tragedy and school shootings? What do we do in, in relation to even things that, that we have read in headlines of religious leaders this week? And we, we see all these kind of things, right? And we've got to be a people that are no longer content with just saying, hey, we're going to pray about it. We've got to be a people that, are, that cannot be comfortable with, with the status quo of the things of this world. That would give themselves. See, when, when, when Elijah repaired the altar, the, the altar was repaired because there was sacrifice that was going to be given on that altar. Right? And we saw when God answered my fire that he was pleased with the sacrifice. And, and I believe God is calling his people to be a people that will restore an altar and that will be in that altar and say, you know what? The sacrifice is us and we will come away different. We will die daily to ourselves and not, you know, there's nothing magical about this place that we come and pray, right? This, this place in front of this stage that many times people refer to as an altar, right? But we need to be a place where, where there's a places in our life. There's something beautiful about a place that we might come and kneel and that we might die to ourselves and we might lean into whatever God would have for us. There's something beautiful about that, but we need to have those places in our homes. We need to have those places. Our heart needs to be an altar where God continually reveals to, to us the the things that we need to get rid of, the idols and the things that are in the place of proper worship to him and where God in the power of his spirits renews and restores. We need a people where the presence of God is because there's unwavering allegiance where people are saying, you know what? I'm not going to stand in, in, in the midst of this world in the middle of a fence and try to figure out how I cannot make anybody upset with me. I'm going I'm to live and I'm not going to live in a place where I'm going to get on one side of the fence and hopefully the church people will be good when I'm there on Sunday morning and hopefully the people in the world will be good when I'm in the locker room and when I'm in my workplace, it needs to be known who we follow. And we need to be a people who are willing to stand on the word of God. By the way, I believe every single word of it, right? And we stand on the inner, infallible word of God and we live our lives in that way and we kneel before a holy God in dependence on him. People that will stand, people that will kneel and it's gotta be the same people. We've gotta be people who will recognize the condition and the brokenness of this world. James 4 says that if you'll draw near to God, that he'll draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the way that we, as the people of God, need to approach the moments that we are in, that we would draw near to God, that we would recognize the sin that has so easily beset us, right? That we think about graduates and the, the race that is before him. And the apostle Paul said that, listen, that we, we lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily besets us to run with, rate, with patience and with grace, right? The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need the power of God to be displayed in the lives of the people of God. And it'll require purity in our private lives and it'll require purity in our public lives. P people ask me, do you like ice cream? I say, whether I'm with somebody or by myself. Those are the two times I like ice cream. <laughs> and here's the thing. We need to have purity in our lives, whether we're with somebody 
or whether we're by ourselves and the purity that we have in our private life, that's what we'll see in our public life. That's where the power of God will be manifested in our public life. And so our call today as we close our time together, right? Number one is that we would resolve our allegiance, right? Elijah came and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you hesitate? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And if Baal's God, then, then, then follow him, right? And if Elijah were here today, I believe he would say the same thing to all of us. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long will, will you do those kind of things? We want our prayers answered and we want our personal sins protected, right? We want to live like we want to live sometimes, but we want, to, we want to have God. We want all the power of God, all the good things of God. We want all the blessings of God, but we don't want to honor him by getting rid of the bad things. And Elijah says, don't straddle the fence. He said, if you want to serve money, then see how far that will get you. If that's what you want to serve, then go that direction. If you want to serve uh, the sexuality of our culture and the things that, that are going to bring you fulfillment and those kind of things, then he says, if that's who you want to serve, then go after it. But what you're going to find out is like Solomon, at the end of your life, when you try to serve all of those things, you're going to find that there's no fulfillment and that there's no satisfaction in any of those things, that your life will be meaningless. But he says, you know what? If you're going to serve God, then get off the middle of the fence and live for him for the glory of his name live in a way that, that sacrificially says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a difference in this world. I'm going, to, I'm going to find somebody that doesn't have a father in their home. I'm going to find somebody. And listen, every family, what would it be like if every Christian family, and we've, we've identified, and Pastor Chris has shared so graciously as we've walked through these scriptures, that there is difficulty, right? And when, when there's not dads and men that are leading in the home in the way that they do, what would it look like if every Christian family in this room that, that had that would say, you know what? We're going to find somebody. I don't know how I can make a difference in everybody, but I can make a difference in somebody. And we're going to have those people in our lives. Right? We're going to have that family in our lives. We're going to do life with them. We're going to make a difference in this young man. We're going to make a difference in this young woman. I thank God that there are many people that invest in our students, but every one of us is called to invest in that way. Every one of us is called to make disciples and to engage in this way, right? And we got to stop straddling the fence. We can't claim Christ on Sunday morning and live through the week like we don't know him at all. We can't want the benefits and not be willing to sacrifice. And Elijah calls that day and says, take a sign. It's the same call that Joshua gave in Joshua 24. He said, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Jesus said this in Matthew 13. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys this field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. I want to tell you something. Following Jesus costs us everything. It's provided free. Salvation is given to us by grace through faith. But it demands surrender of our lives. And the beauty of it is, is there's a treasure. There's a treasure that is worth everything. And when you surrender all to him, everything changes. Choose, decide, resolve our allegiance.
And church, we need to repair the altar. How long has it been since we've been desperate for God to move in our midst? How long has it been since we've been desperate for God to move in our families? How long has it been since we have been in a desperate place of prayer in our lives? We must repair the altar. The altars of our hearts were daily. We are in fellowship with God. We're daily. We are, are gathering. Again, there's nothing sacred about this space, but it is a place that we gather. It is a place where we pray. God still uses places in our homes, places in our cars, places in the woods. He uses this, right? And he still desires sacrifice. He still desires that we might come and that we might kneel, that we might bow, prostrate before him, and that we might surrender our lives that we might come and die, that we might come and die to ourselves, and that we might serve, that we might serve him with everything in our lives. Choose you this day who you will serve. Be careful that we don't find a comfortable place somewhere on the fence because either you are for him or you are against him, and there is no middle ground in the kingdom of God. Resolve your allegiance today. Repair the altar and rejoice in the treasure that is worth everything. Rejoice in that pearl of great price that, that the merchant would sell all that he had so that he might find it.